Down Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. We are your hosts, Rahul Mehta. And River Dowdy. You can check us out at soulgroundretreats.org or on Instagram and Facebook at soulgroundretreats. So, River. So, Rahul. I hear that there is some deets that need to be said regarding future Soul Ground stuff. Uh, deets. Deets. <laughs> That's what the young kids are saying. Yeah. Registration opens for Soul Ground 6 Intuition with Dr. Laura Wood on Monday, October 1st. So get your spot quick because those retreats sell out quick. Oh, snap. Or anyway. So coming back to this podcast, this week we talk with Whitney about the story we are using for Picasso. Now this is a little bit different than we have done so far. Yeah, this segment is more of an open discussion. So if you're joining us at Picasso, be thinking about your thoughts on the subject. Ooh, what is the subject? Well, let's head into the segment and find out. Soul Ground Podcast is Whitney Sullivan. Say hello, Whitney. Hello. Hello. We're excited to have you again. It's good to be back. Thank you for uh thank you for having me back on what is this, episode three? Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, sorry, and this is Rahul. I kind of just lurked in. Uh <laughs> I came in and I, I noticed you guys were talking, so I wanted to join. <laughs> Well, it's great because we're going to have a discussion today about our upcoming retreat, Picasso, and how it got its name and what it means and start talking about the story that we're going to be using. So, Whitney, in DBT, what does Picasso mean? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, So, in DBT, Picasso is interesting. I want to say the word form but it's, it's an offering of sorts where um, two feelings or uh, usually they're um, opposite feelings. So maybe, you know, love and hate or desire and avoidance are uh, represented simultaneously. So it creates this sort of dissonance where I may be giving you a hug, but at the same time saying, I want to you know, something really icky. I don't know. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're putting in form, uh, two kind of polarized or two, um, opposite expressions at once. That's cool. That sounds like something that our community is, is used to, and we call polarized parts. Yeah. Rahul, do you want to talk about polarized parts? Like what it means to you? What it means to me? I think polarized parts for me, because I don't have as vast knowledge with at least with drama therapy i don't know for for me specifically it's um two mindsets that both have the same goal but are at odds with each other and how to get there for example if i have a part of me that's that has a bunch of anxiety say with uh being in public i will have a mindset that wants to just say, you know what, just just go for it, suck it up, you, you can't show weakness. And there's the other side that wants to hide, run away, uh, and absolutely refrain from doing anything in public. So, But both are wanting to protect that anxiety middle. Mm-hmm. Am I in the right plane? Yeah, I think so. So you're saying... That made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, it did to me too. So you're saying you have a part of you that is anxious and then maybe anxious about being vulnerable and then two parts that protect it. Yeah. It's kind of like tug of war. And in the middle is 
the part that's really in pain. Does that relate, uh, Whitney, to Picasso at all? You know, it's interesting because uh, Rahul, as you were speaking, I was. It was like opening my play space. We say, but it was. It was making me want to say yes. And Picasso was also so yes. That that does resonate. And it's always interesting finding language for this embodied method. But um, to me, uh, Picasso can also be things that are dissonant. So like something that, like, for instance, um, I'm thinking of like singing a lullaby. Um, So something where you think there's this calming and rocking, but yet instead of singing a lullaby, you're singing um, a song that you probably wouldn't sing to a baby, like (laughs) some kind of pop song or some kind of like rock song or so it can also just um to me it makes me think of dissonance (laughs) i think i'm still trying to understand picasso myself like how it lives in my own in my own life and how it shows up as a dvt you know form as the the player as an offering yeah i i hope i'm doing a really um good job of confusing all of the listeners you know and (laughs) everyone want to come I think I'm really telling you. We call it job security. I think this is a really good opportunity to kind of introduce the story that we're using to kind of help bring the idea of Picasso and polarized parts into light in, in a palatable way that makes sense to people. So... We're going to be using Moana, the Disney story Moana, to help illustrate this idea. And so there's lots of polarizations within Moana. Um, I think we talked about originally just the main character, Moana, and how she really wants to be a good daughter and a good leader to her people on the island, but also has a, a real desire to go be a voyager and how the two parts of her are kind of at odds and She's struggling back and forth to figure out what she really wants. Well, I just have to say, I think on the last podcast, I thanked you for inviting me to all these firsts, you know, first blog post, first podcast. And this is also um, last week was my first time watching Moana. And um, in my defense, I'm only watching about two or three films a year right now in this phase of my life. But it was, yeah, I just. I agree, River. It was um, it was a, a really good uh, story choice to bring this idea of polarized parts home in a in a very clear way. And I, yeah, I'm I'm curious about others' reflections in the community on this movie because it's so rich. I mean, there's there was just so much, and I'm I'm thinking about not only Moana but her her father and her grandmother, and you know, lot lots of different um, characters in the film who were experiencing these, these parts. And I like in your email that you had sent at the very end, you're like, and what's up with Hey, Hey. <laughs> like, right? I honestly I- thought that maybe, you know, at the, you know, when you watch the movie, I thought it was just some sort of comedic relief, but I'm sure just like anything, you can dive pretty deep into just the chicken. <laughs> <laughs> the chicken that won't die. <laughs> He's so brainless, but everyone like, takes care of him you know anyway that's that's actually well i was really i was um kind of surprised that hey hey was on the ship i thought is it is it pua or poa i want to say poa but it's pua right yeah yeah 
Like I thought Pua would be her companion, but it was Hey Hey. Shocking. <laughs> I was shocked too. Poor Pua. <laughs> yeah, he was scared. He wanted to stay on the island in safety. So I'm curious. I know I'm not really the one asking questions today, but you two, you, this is not your first time seeing the film, right? This is something, I don't even know what year this film came out. But I'm, I guess my question is if your impressions of the film have sort of transformed, you know, from maybe first seeing it and then now, like in preparing for Picasso, if it has a new meaning for you. Yeah, I, the first time Rahul and I watched Moana, we were actually in a tent down at Table Rock Lake while it was pouring rain. Yeah. <laughs> we were camping and there was there was no sun that weekend. It was very sad. But it was humid. It was, it was, there was torrential downpour, everything. Yeah. So we decided to stick it out and we stayed in the tents while rivers of water poured along the side of us and we're listening to the Moana music on my iPad. <laughs> And it was really kind of a beautiful thing for us. I don't know. It's one of my favorite moments in our relationship. But I think at that point, I I was really caught up about the crab and the very... It was just so strange, the, the music that went with the crab and how like starkly different it was from the rest of the, the story. <laughs> and then it grew on me. I also was hit at that point by the, the piece at the end where Moana is bringing the heart back to Tafiti and she's walking through that wall of water and fire and to the, the volcano and really like completing her mission and how brave she was. And, and I hadn't really thought about it in, in polarizations until it got brought up for Picasso. So mm-hmm. um, now it's I'm looking at it in completely different ways. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but even before that, before it was an idea for Picasso, we had watched it recently over the summer, and um, there was a lot of, maybe this isn't okay to say, but Rahul and I saw a lot of, like, ourselves in, in, like, him in Maui and his struggle and, and then my own struggles within Moana and how it was interesting that they were having, like, their joint journeys, but separately... And that was really cool. And then now there's this other complexity of the polarizations within the characters, which is just, it's such a rich movie. It really is. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I saw it, I think for the second, maybe third, maybe 15th time, because it's awesome, I (laughs) uh, saw a lot of different, I mean, you can kind of pull meaning from almost anything. And I know it can be subjective, but personally, I saw a lot of, well, my backstory with, you know, the abandonment piece, uh, early childhood, and then wanting to prove to everyone that you are, or that I am like this, you know, hero or uh, savior in some sort or someone who can be relied upon to get stuff done or, or whatever. And it really was a stark not stark, like it was really poignant for me to see that uh, as one of the powerful demigods who actually has this really hurt, you know, child within that is trying to prove himself. But in the end, inevitably, before he meets Moana, he is trapped because, you know, there's only, 
you can't keep pleasing everyone. And mm-hmm. that one time when he tried to please, you know, again, uh, it ended up backfiring. So that was just like really poignant for me. I, I also identified with um, different characters at different points of the film, but I think something um, to stay with Maui for a minute, the image, just the the use of his tattoos. And um, I just loved the choice, like that there was this like dialogue and the tattoos were alive, this like these things that were physically written on his skin to tell his story. And then the parts of his story, like the abandonment, like being being discarded essentially like the the image that was above his shoulders and then that repetition in dvt i think a lot about what's coming back what's coming back what's the repetition what's the repetition and uh and that repetition of throwing like a physically throwing moana off the boat and her getting up again or putting her in a cave or you know, the, the, I want to say the word, like the fragility or like how, how delicate that dance was at the beginning and how their tolerance for vulnerability just grew so much like throughout the film. I guess there was this part of me that, um, I don't know, I just think of rupture and repair in like the clinical sense and these ideas of even me being a new facilitator to soul ground. I think I was talking about you know, getting preoccupied with my own. Am I going to be enough? Is this okay? You know, but also this idea, this willingness to, to be vulnerable and to take risks and just to show up to be human. And Moana's, I realize we haven't given like a whole summary of the film for people who haven't seen it. I I would hope by now everyone on this planet has seen it. (laughs) I don't know, you guys. I just joined like (laughs) last week. So I'm not going to make that assumption. No, I'm just kidding. But yeah, that, trust me, we can do spoilers. That's fine at this okay. point. <laughs> but when Moana met, I always, uh, so Tafiti, who is also, what is the other name? Takai. Um, and it wasn't, there. it wasn't, she, they, she didn't meet her with aggression. Like she met her by like, did they join foreheads? I mean, it was just this like tenderness and this just, extreme humanness. Like I'm just, I get really, um, I'm, I'm just touched just thinking about that, that image of how much risk it took for both of them to build that bridge and to allow that contact. And then the incredible transformation that occurred after, like, I want to see like Moana part two, which is like, what is this? Like the green, you know, just how her body, like the fire transformed to this like lush green, you know, I mean. Yeah. I think of it as our, our earth, mother nature and with certain, not greed, but this Maui wanted to take this heart for humans and improve himself. He, it was like a neglecting uh, what mother nature or earth wants or needs this, uh, which is, you know, care and, and heart. I mean, I don't know any better word for it, but, and when Moana, after a little while, she just knew like internally that this is what needed to be done and was able to say, okay, I'm going to face this extremely scary, what looks to be a beast, knowing that it's like this maybe broken or hurt soul that is, had something taken away from it. Once that heart came back, she transformed into this, you know, mother nature that is caring and, and creative and beautiful and 
yeah, it was it's it's really beautiful how it worked out. So I'm wondering if we look at it through polarized parts and just taking Moana as like our main, I guess, protagonist and having her have the part of her that wants to be a good daughter and a good leader and stay on the island. And then the part of her that wants to be the voyager and travel the seas and explore. And then I think in the middle, what what's there is um, bravery and courage to like be both of those things and save her family and create the thing that she wanted all along, which was to bring them with her and go back to their heritage. I don't know. I don't know if I'm being clear, but. Absolutely, River. I think that is, yeah, staying with Moana. So very clear that she had, that she possessed both of these things that she, and I think what's interesting. So I didn't say this about um, Picasso and DBT, but there's also this form and playback called pairs. And this is really making me think of a pair and that if we were to um, represent it, we would be playing that part of her that wants to, who's the voyager and the part of her that's the good girl. And they would exist simultaneously. And, and I think they both held equal weight, at least at the beginning of the film. I don't know, though, the voyager like really seemed to to tug like I'm, I'm thinking of those images of her like thinking of repetition she kept returning to the sea yeah pushing over the the waves yeah exactly so she kept going back to that so maybe i don't know maybe i'm i don't think that they held equal weight i think the voyager always like that that part was closer to her whatever you want to call it her core or her true identity her true self and then there were these various guides that helped remind her of that, of her courage and her bravery and her ability to actually be both, to be, to live into the Voyager while doing what she, trusting her own intuition that this is what's best for the island and in turn her family. Even if her family was saying, no, 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 that's not, you know. Like you said, River, I think in your email that even though they may have been well-intentioned, but they were saying, oh, don't, don't do that. Stay, stay on this side of the reef, you know, and what that did for her own self-concept and and self-image of like, you know, perpetuating that feeling of self-doubt that like, oh, well, maybe I can't, like, maybe I, I don't have the skills to really return the heart or maybe I keep, keep her in that sort of questioning place from from taking the next step pre-contemplative maybe you know like but her grandma what about that gra- what what was grandma's name uh talia right which means star i think i looked i looked up some of these names but that dance with grandma and just this the relationship with water and stars and map like yeah talia and i think we can all we all have whether it, it may not be the voyager slash good girl but you know i think we we all possess those parts. I think it's, I mean, if we simplify it, it's like stay the same or change comfort versus risk. Mm-hmm. How we we make that decision every day. Curious what your thoughts are, Rahul. No, I absolutely agree. I think there is a lot to be said with grandma being this ever present supporter and cheerleader and at the same time 
there's a point when she's like, if you don't want to go, you don't go. I will, you know, you mm. do you, <laughs> you know, like, uh, almost not like forcing any issue saying like, if you want to choose to do this and I'll back you up a hundred percent. And, but in this like really compassionate way. And I think that's just, that's something everyone I think needs in their life of some level, if it's not in external, it's definitely internal. Yeah. And I'm curious, I know we're focusing on Moana and they didn't like, I know her parents were present in the film, but I'm thinking about her father Mm. and kind of looping back to what you were saying at the beginning, um, Rahul, about the two mindsets that have the same goal relating to anxiety. And I just think for myself now being a parent and like, just honoring her dad's desire to like protect Mm -hmm. her safe and to keep her like his little girl or whatever that is. I actually had a hard time pinning Moana's age, which maybe I don't know if that's relevant for this conversation, but there were, I love that like it was a female protagonist and that like it didn't end in this romantic relationship, you know, that it, it, but I also like, I had a hard time. Like, is she 17? Is she eight? Is she, you know, I, but yeah, her dad and, and that he had that real trauma and loss of like, he tried, I mean, he, he went beyond the reef and, and took that risk and lost a friend and didn't he lose? It was his best friend, right? yeah. 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 He drowned. Right. And so how that generational trauma can impact, yeah, so much. But I, I really, I had a lot of compassion for her dad, actually. And then her mom, too, was uh, more of a, uh, I don't know. I felt like there were a couple moments where her mom was like, I see you. I see. It's okay. You know, like, she never came right out and said it. But I felt like there were moments where her mom was like, I get it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I wondered about her mom and, like, culturally what her place was within the dynamics of the family. Because she did see her, but she also didn't really, like, go against her father. Yeah, I kind of almost saw her as a bystander in yeah. some, uh, <laughs> some aspect. But at the same time, she I also saw her love for her daughter. Mm-hmm. You know. They're all such complicated characters just for a Disney movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I was curious, Whitney, with uh, you were relating to the father a little bit with how he really wanted to protect his daughter from going out into the dangers of the deep sea where he himself has, you know, faced loss and trauma and, and hurt. Do you see yourself like how maybe your history can kind of you can see what dangers are lying ahead and you want to protect your you know kids from that oh yeah Yeah. oh oh, um oh gosh you know i i think this is a polarized part for me i think there is part of me that wants to be that i don't really like the term but that helicopter parent that person that's like sure always there to like protect and and keep her safe and, um, not wanting her to experience any harm. And then there's also this part of me that feels very resilient. I've done a lot of work to own what's mine and, and not take on what, what doesn't belong to me. And so wanting, wanting her to be able to, yeah, like fall down and, and know that I trust and I believe in her ability to get back up. You know, I mean, she's, 
yeah, I'm not going to go into it in this podcast, but yeah, it's, um, she's already been through a lot. And, um, so my, like wanting her to feel my belief and deep love for her, her resiliency and her ability to like handle adversity because it's going to be there and, and wanting, yeah, her to have those risks and be able to take them. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think any human being, regardless of if they have a child or not, uh, has, you know, that part of them that wants to protect their loved ones, maybe not like obviously an offspring, but it could be part of themselves or it could be, you know, uh, their pet or whatever. And I just remember the very first time I saw Moana that when the toddler Moana went out into the beach by herself and started going towards the beckoning ocean because of everything that I've maybe seen or my perception of, I, I thought something bad was immediately going to happen. Mm. You know, I thought that this Disney film is going to have some insane trauma right off the bat. Mm. And um, I almost was cringing a little as she kept going out into the ocean as a mm -hmm. baby. And I don't know. I had a hard time just thinking, oh, it's going to it'll be just fine. This is the main character. What's going to happen? You know, and I don't know, like that's my own past coming in no, or something. I, no, I, I have a similar feeling. Yeah. No, Olive loves the edges of pools and lakes and she's oh my gosh, yeah. seen um, boundary and uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And I, this makes me think sometimes my husband and I laugh. There's like all these articles on, um, I think now that there was helicopter parenting and now the pendulum has swung to the other end of the spectrum and everyone wants to be a free range parent, you know, <laughs> I have it's like, like maybe I could give you a good enough definition like I did for Picasso, but like this free range, this idea that like we have to let, ch you know, children will, but there is, I mean, there is like, if you look back in like these earlier cultures, like, you know, the, the idea that like the, it takes a village and like the children really do self-protect and like, right. Maybe sometimes it's our need to like keep them from playing in the ocean. I do not recommend like allowing, you know, oh but my gosh. yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. No, thanks. Anyway, I, I, I think that this is another conversation. I think boundaries do and um, limits do help kids feel really safe. And sometimes I think I, I'm curious about my, if this is my need to, to set the boundary or if this is a boundary that, you know, she's really needing in this moment. And I also want to know like how this can pertain to the self. How can, you know, if I'm a client and I want to do something that's extremely uh, risky and start a new business or do something that it, it involves a lot of risk, you know, I have parts of me that are wanting to say, no, I, you know, don't do that. You're going to flop and go bankrupt. Uh, or there's the other one that says, screw it, just go all out, sell everything you have and put your money in into uh, this this new business, I think gradually, and it kind of is, I'm sure it ties into parenting a little bit, but at first, you, you want to rein in extreme choices and make sure that you do things carefully and protect yourself, protect yourself. But slowly when trust is built within yourself and your choices, and you are, you know, aware that you can take care of yourself if something happens or uh, you do have a backup plan or you do have people to support you in case something happens or, or whatever you take bigger and bigger risks until, you know, hopefully inevitably you, you quit your day job and you have your own business. And in this sense with Moana, 
she kind of had her grandma tell her, you know, if if this is where your heart lies, then go. You know, you need to save the island. And mm-hmm. and then Moana was just, she didn't really, I mean, she loved her dad. She loves her dad, rather. And she wanted to follow his guidance. But at some level, she's just like, you know, I can't just stay here all the time or I'm just going to see my village mm-hmm. you know, slowly die off. This is reminding me, too, of how it relates to Maui at the end when he wants to protect himself because his hook is broken and his power is at risk. And if he was to continue fighting, he might lose being a demigod and how like through his relationship with Moana and understanding that he's more than the things that he can do for people, he took that risk and like surrendered to um to Ka. I think you wrote about that Whitney in in your email about the haka dance. I love the haka dance. Yeah, wasn't that? I mean, that makes me think, you guys, I've been trying to, you know, I'm trying to model that I'm a broken toy. That's what we call it in DVT and own that, you know, my training was not in the um IFS model, but I've actually been reading this I've been reading this intro to IFS because I want to learn more about parts and polarized parts. And I was reading about um, the self and how how it's described as this part that um, we all possess. You know, I'm trying to find the C's. You two may know them, oh, yeah. but that it possesses compassion and curiosity and confidence and courage and creativity and connectedness and and that like this internal I want to call it source or this. Yeah, it's like I, I just I don't know when when he start when he made that haka dance offering, I was like, Yep, this is coming from self. Like this is this is it. This is it. Like and in DVT we think of it as like flow, you know, it's like when you're in that state where I think about the last retreat I led, the journey retreat, and I was doing a lot of reading of Joseph Campbell's work and I I was reading the alchemist and, and thinking about, I forget what the quote is, but basically like when you say, yes, the world provide, I I don't know. That's not it. I'm, I'm, (laughs) but, but this idea of like synchronicity or things just start to start to align in a way, but it takes great risk to say yes. And seeing him offer that dance was, yeah, really beautiful, powerful. There's a lot of things about Moana, huh? Right. There was something else I was thinking, like the map and the stars. Like I, I keep coming back to how her journey, like in DVT, we talk about um, that it's not always a narrative. It's not a linear process. Like a lot of times things can feel like we don't privilege um, linearity. Things can feel kind of mixed up or out of sorts, like a dream almost. And um, that her her journey even though it is linear because it's a film, you know, there is like, we could map it out what happened first, second, third, but it was, it wasn't particularly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It wasn't, I want to, I want to say clean. It wasn't like, it wasn't perfected. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't this like, and here's my adventure. You know, it was like, there were lots of setbacks and there were lots of like detours and there were lots of getting lost and then getting found again. And I just think that's, I mean, when your map is the stars and not like a GPS signal in your phone, then that's going to be part of it, right? (laughs) You're relying on stars. (laughs) Or, I mean, putting your hand in the water and feeling the warmer current. I was just thinking like, what if someone peed in the water in front of you? (laughs) Hey, hey. (laughs) Hey, hey. (laughs) 
damn it. <laughs> Come on, hey, hey. Come on, hey, hey. Right the river. the pig. Uh, <laughs> well, speaking of maps, I guess this is our lead into the next week. We'll start talking about what our members should be thinking about coming into Picasso and how this all relates to them. Dun, dun, dun. I feel like right now I should put in that dun-dun-dun music <laughs> in, in, in production mode. Well, thank you for talking with us, Whitney, today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for um, having me back. <laughs> yeah, and we'll have you back again next week, and then we'll see your face. Yay! You too. Something that I'm noticing about podcasts, like I'm used to writing academic papers, and like there's always like the work cited page, you know, where the the bibliography. I'm like, I I none of these ideas are original, you know. I have to. It's okay. No, it's okay. Well, there no, is no. there is a work cited. I think I'm clear that I'm like I'm I'm uh, not reinventing the wheel, but I'm I'm rather like. This is a sum of all of the things I've learned and how I see things. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> we work smarter, not harder. It's okay. Okay, good. <laughs> Whitney, if there are things that you want to put into the show notes, you can send them to us and we can attach them. Oh, okay. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we look forward to hearing from you again next week. Thanks for talking to us today. Thanks, Whitney. Yes, thank you. Thank you for having me. Wow, okay. That's a lot to think about. Yeah, I'm excited for next week when our map becomes a little more clear. For sure. Tune in next week for one last pre-retreat discussion with Whitney. To find out more about Soulground, just visit soulgroundretreats.org. Or our Instagram and Facebook at soulgroundretreats. And remember, you are not alone. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Soul Ground Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, what am I doing after that? No, we're your hosts. Oh, duh. Okay, I'll try it one more time.